This is Gene Montrostelli of Tapping Q&A, and you are listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with Miriam Shulman. Today's episode is sponsored by my free art journal workshop. If you want to learn my five-step creative goal-setting framework with using an art journal, go to shulmanart.com forward slash goals to save your spot in my next live training. You'll get to watch me work in my art journal. Can't wait to see you there. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 73 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I'm so thrilled that you're here. Today, I've invited a guest expert in tapping because this is just one more tool in your toolbox for mindfulness and releasing your creative blocks. In this episode, you'll discover what is EFT or tapping how it can help you evolve into your next best version of your better self. And finally, we're going to tap along with today's guest. But before we get there, I wanted to remind you that I have a free live training on my goal setting process. If you've tried and failed, as most of us have at setting New Year's resolutions, and you want to discover a better way to manifest your goals, you are going to love this. In my workshop, I will share with you my four-step goal-setting framework. It's more than just an art class. It's a manifestation system. To sign up for the live training, go to shulmanart.com forward slash goals. All right, now back to the show. Today's guest is the editor of Tapping Q&A, tappingqna.com, and the Tapping Q&A podcast. I've actually been listening to it for a while, and it's a treasure trove, whether you're an energy healer or just a consumer like me. Today's guest works one-on-one with clients to help them eliminate self-sabotage so that they can take the action they need to move forward. He's also the author of Comprehensive Anger Management, which was based on his experience of teaching tapping as an anger management tool in a county jail. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Gene Monterostelli. Well, hello, Gene, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. So the reason I invited you is because you have a very unique way of working with clients to release their creative blocks. And we do talk a lot about the mindset on this show. So it's not just about how to become a better artist, and it's not just about the business side but it's about managing our mind. So I know my listeners are really going to benefit from what you have to offer. Excellent. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So let's start off with the big one, because I'm sure there are people out there who are new to what you do. Let's define what EFT is. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a very, very short history and how we kind of got to where we are to understand where it came from. In the late 70s and early 80s, they started doing research into acupuncture to see if it was effective or not. And in the process of doing this research, they discovered that acupuncture was really effective for not only pain management, but it was also having amazing results when it came to depression and phobias. Dr. Roger Callahan, who lived in San Diego at the time, 
was reading these studies and he was working with clients and he thought, wow, this is really, really fascinating, but I don't want to go to acupuncture school. I wonder what would happen if we took the points that acupuncturists were using, instead of sticking needles in them, we just tapped on them. And he developed something that was called thought field therapy. And the very first study that he published, like his big research project, was with one of his clients who was afraid of water. Her fear was so severe, she struggled taking showers. Roger, because he lived in San Diego, his office was in the little pool house behind their house, and his clients had to walk by the swimming pool. And this terrified this client who he called Mary. He tried this thing called thought field therapy. 20 minutes later, she ran into the backyard and started splashing her face with water from the swimming pool. Gary Craig studied with Dr. Callahan, and thought field therapy is very, very complicated, and we won't get into the details of that here. And Gary Craig studied it and said, wow, this is really amazing. I wonder if I could create something that is much simpler that I could teach to the common person, not a complicated system that a practitioner, a psychologist, or psychologist needs. See, and I have to tell you, Gene, I didn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was related to acupuncture. I didn't know. Yeah. I'm like just as new, I think, as my listeners. I thought it was, yeah, you tap on your face, you tap mm-hmm. on your head, basically slapping myself. Yeah. And so all of the points, what Callahan chose were the endpoints of the different meridians which are used inside of acupuncture. Oh. So Gary Craig created this thing called emotional freedom technique, which you referred to as EFT. As someone who has experienced it, EFT is an absolutely perfect name because you're getting freedom from the emotions you're experiencing in the moment. As a marketer, I think it's a really, really bad name because it sounds, it doesn't sound very real or practical because it is something that is super, super practical. Gary Craig in the late 90s and early 2000s started teaching and sharing this thing called EFT. Over the course of the last 15 or 20 years, as people have experienced it, he even named it emotional freedom techniques plural, because he knew people were going to be innovating on top of it. So there are lots of people who now most commonly just refer to it as tapping because like for myself, I use a lot of the principles that Gary taught in the original EFT, but I also bring in a lot of other modalities into it. Basically, what you are doing is when you are stimulating these points that are at the end of the meridians, like if you've ever seen an acupuncture chart where they have all of the dots on the body, Basically, we're just using those points. What we now know is when you tap on those points, we can almost immediately see a drop in cortisol levels in the blood, in the saliva. That is so interesting. So I'm just going to put it all out there for full disclosure. I invited Eugene because... I just felt like, okay, EFT, that's related to all the kinds of stuff I talk about. I really Mm -hmm. never tried it myself. And when I have guests like you on, I always like if they have a podcast, I listen to the podcast. If they've been a guest, I try to listen to that. Listening to it and I've been tapping along. It was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So I like to meditate, but because I'm a creative person, Mm -hmm. that's euthanism, by the way, for like someone who has an attention deficit disorder. Preach, sister. I'm right there with you. Right. Because I have a very creative mind. I'm like, and I even try to use like these guided audios. I'm I'm already thinking about like the painting I want to make or... Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the podcast I want to write, and it's really hard. And when I was following along with your tapping, which you have a lot of those tap alongs on your podcast, and I believe you have a YouTube channel as well. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So I was tapping along. It was kind of like slapping myself all the time saying, paying attention, pay attention, pay attention, but it didn't hurt. It kind of was very soothing. Yeah. So biochemically, we're actually seeing a change inside of the body when we tap. 
my friend, Dr. Peter Stapleton, who works as a researcher and a teacher at Bond University in Western Australia, has actually had the opportunity to get access to a functional MRI. And she's been just doing some studies around cravings and using tappings to deal with cravings. And over the course of six weeks, she's actually able to now demonstrate the neurological change that is happening inside of the brain before doing a series of tapping sessions and after a series of tapping sessions and how we respond to what is going on in the world. You say so many incredible things. I hope you don't mind yep. when I interrupt, but I just want to make sure I unpack interrupt. things from my... This is the New York interrupt, by the way. Maybe not all New Yorkers interrupt, but I do. You talked about addictions, right? Is that what you're saying? Like, so it can be used for addiction it control? It can be used, it'd be used for cravings and addictions. Absolutely. Okay. So quit smoking, drug mm-hmm. ad, all those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And one of the things that we always need to be careful with, there's a great podcast I listen to called Sawbones, where it's a doctor and her husband, and they talk about all this crazy stuff that we've done with medicine over the history of the world. They sell a t-shirt that says, cure-alls cure nothing. Because they spend a lot of time talking about snake oil and stuff that was sold at the turn of the last century. And so I'm always really hesitant talking about the breadth of things that tapping can be used for, because the instant something becomes too good to be true, we immediately assume that it is actually too good to be true. Mm. The places that I have seen it most predominantly used addictions like we've talked about. It's really great for pain management. The work that I primarily do and the the way that I think about it is making sure that we have a proportionate, well-informed emotional response to whatever is going on around us. So as an example, I'm sitting here in Brooklyn and it is good that I'm afraid of lions But if I never left my apartment because there's a lion in the Central Park Zoo and there's another one in the Bronx Zoo, that is a disproportionate response. If I am in my kitchen and a mouse goes scurrying across the floor and I jump on the table and scream like a five-year-old, that is a misinformed emotional response because there isn't actually any danger as I'm encountering the mouse. And so for those of us who are trying to navigate our day and take better action, it becomes this really powerful tool in eliminating the limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves and about the world or about putting things into proportion so we're responding in the right way. Okay. So can you treat PTSD then with tapping? PTSD can be dealt with with tapping. The thing that I always tell people when it comes to learning how to tap, because as you'll see, as we demonstrate later, like I have taught people how to tap on the back of a barroom napkin in under two minutes. But just because tapping can be used for something, if you know how to tap, it does not qualify you to work on that particular issue. So if someone is qualified to work with clients and patients who have PTSD, tapping is an amazing tool. There are actually a number of VA hospitals in which they regularly use tapping to do something like that. Tapping is amazing for something like disassociated identity disorder. As a practitioner who has been doing this for years, I would never work with a client who has DID because I'm not qualified for that. So it's really important that we make a distinction between what tapping can be used on and what an individual is qualified to do with tapping. From the tapping I've done through your podcast, that a lot of it has to do with the combination of not just tapping points, but also basically the guided affirmations that you're Mm -hmm. using alongside. So how important are the affirmations you're using? And Mm -hmm. then how important is it that you're hitting the certain points and the order of the points? Right. 
the basics when it comes to the order of the points for using it on your own and doing basic stuff, order of the points do not matter. Like that's the difference between EFT and thought field therapy. In thought field therapy, there was this really specifically prescribed order for every single thing that you were doing, which was really complicated. It's something I will do with my clients, but I don't expect my clients to go do that on their own. So the order is unimportant. We just do it, go from point to point to point. When we are tapping, we are going to be most successful with tapping the more specific we are about the issue that we are experiencing. So for example, if I had you think about your second grade classroom, and then I have you think about where was your desk in your second grade classroom? And who were some of the students around you? And who was the teacher? And as I ask these questions, it becomes more and more in focus in your brain as you add details to that. The more specific we are with tapping, the more successful and the quicker we are going to get relief. But that's not to say we have to be specific because sometimes I know I am afraid of putting out a piece of creation that I've made because I'm afraid people are going to judge me. This really specific sense, I'm taking this thing into the world on this date in this location. So I have a lot of specifics. This morning, I woke up and just kind of felt like crap. And I couldn't tell you why or how or what that was about. So I didn't have a lot of specifics. So when I was tapping, I was tapping around whatever specifics I had. And this morning, the specifics I had, I have no energy, I am slow, I am sluggish, I am unfocused. And so I'm using the description of my experience in a general way, what feels like a general way, because I'm not completely tuned in. But one of the things that we find when we're doing something like this and we get relief is we also get much clearer about a problem. I'm sure you've been in a circumstance where you're talking to one of your friends, and as you are talking a problem out loud, all of a sudden you actually start to, even before your friend says anything back to you, as you give details, you start getting clarity and you start to understand your own problem more. Yeah, or I just talk to myself and everyone around me thinks I'm crazy. Absolutely. Right. And that's, that's, the, that's, 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 know, the great like, joy. that's the great joy of living in New York is no one looks at you twice when you walk down the street <laughs> muttering in that particular way. But what happens when we're tapping is that clarity comes even quicker. So we start with whatever we understand. Now, the tap-along audios that you talk about that I share on my website, those come from a place where because I've worked with a particular issue a number of times, I have a general idea of what the disproportion or misinformed belief that is existing inside of someone's head when they have resistance around one of those issues. And so in a general sense, when I'm just creating something for the masses, I'm speaking to that. If I'm working with a client, I'm going to be using the really specific vocabulary as we have a conversation and there's give and take as we continue to unpack and discover what they're actually struggling with. Okay, so I'm going to ask some very selfish questions, meaning that they pertain it. only to me and my family. Mm -hmm. And yep. then I will make it more general for everybody I, else. Yep. Okay, so my daughter right now is suffering. She's a cellist and she's suffering from like tendonitis in her, in her hands, like overuse mm -hmm. injury from playing. I don't know. Yep. Is that the type of pain that she could go see an EFT practice? So it for? depends. One of the things that I think is really important whenever we find a modality that we're really, really excited about is to recognize the fact that if we're excited about one thing, it doesn't mean it's the only thing that we reach for. Like if I'm in the kitchen and I'm slicing something up and I accidentally slice my finger, I don't start tapping. I put pressure <laughs> on it and I go to the emergency room. 
So it's really great for pain management. Well, hers are like, it's definitely a nerve thing. So I would think that it's all linked to her emotional system. And so if we are in a circumstance in which there is an emotional root cause to a physical issue. So in that circumstance, the physical pain is not the problem. The physical pain is a symptom of a different problem. So for example, if I have a torn rotator cuff, that is a physical injury, and I'm not going to tap my way out of all of the pain <laughs> okay. from the physical injury because there's a tear. But what if but you have if a I'm, pinched nerve? Do you consider that an emotional thing? Again, it depends. Like okay. sometimes, like right now, I have plantar fasciitis, and there's actually swelling of that, which is causing some numbness in my toes. Yeah. And so that's a physical thing. And I can tap to make sure that the body is healing faster, but I'm not going to tap and my foot is magically going to be healed. I'm open to that possibility. But if I'm in a circumstance where the pain that I have in my lower back, when that shows up, that's typically not because I'm a middle-aged man. It's because I'm carrying around something else and my body is giving me information. Like oftentimes when things show up in my shoulders, it's because of shoulds. And I'm feeling I should be doing something and I'm carrying some sort of burden. Yeah. Oftentimes, lower back pain is associated with financial issues. Oftentimes, hip things are about moving forward. Okay, another, another selfish question. Yeah. Another family member who I won't embarrass, but is yeah. not myself. Digestive issues. Absolutely. What, do you know what that, like the emotional root of? And so when I give these examples of emotional roots, I treat... All of the information I get from my clients, the exact same way I treat eyewitness testimony. So for example, if there is a car accident and there's a hit and run and the police show up and an eyewitness said it was a red 67 Mustang, the police don't only look at red 67 Mustangs and they don't completely discard the eyewitness. They're like, oh, that's something we'll investigate. So for example, if I have a client who reports to me, Six months ago, I slipped and fell on the ice and I hurt my right hip. It's felt great for the last few months and it's on the right side. So right hip, right side of the body could be passed. Right side of the body could be male relationship. Hip could be moving forward and they tripped and fell. So now I have all of these pieces of eyewitness testimony, which gives me the ability to narrow down our our investigation, but I'm not going, oh, it's in the hip, it's about moving forward, because it could be the fall, or it's in the hip, it's about moving forward. Well, oftentimes the right side of the body is about the past. Pieces of data that I'm sifting through as we're working back and forth with the client, because the great thing about a round of tapping is there's no such thing as a failed round of tapping. You can have discomfort and we can tap and you can feel better. It means we're on the right path. You could have discomfort. We tap. The pain actually gets worse. That's good news because we're getting more specific about what's going on. Think about how your knee can hurt all day, but you don't think about it till at the end of the day, you sit down and all of a sudden it starts aching because you're not thinking about your day. Your knee didn't start hurting more. You just got more information. Mm. Or we tap and it stays exactly the same. Well, that means we're going in the wrong direction and we need to try something else. So it's just feedback in the process as we're doing this stuff, as we try and uncover what's going on. And there are times where we never know what the root cause is. We're just poking around and we get relief. And I don't care if we don't know the root cause because we got the relief. Sounds awesome. I was telling my daughter about the tapping, like how, oh, I was just like tapping on my face during it. And it was like, it it felt good. And Mm -hmm. I was able to pay attention. She's like, how come you never told me about this? (laughs) I love teaching kids to tap. She's not a kid. She's 22, by the way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love teaching kids to tap because 
kids do not ask the questions about why. Mm. They just immediately feel it working and like, oh, this works. I want to do it again. They are not jaded in the way that I start saying, you know, if you do this and it's based on Chinese medicine and it creates transformation, like like (laughs) our mind starts going, what are you talking about? Like, I'm trying to understand this. A kid just wants results. It's awesome for test anxiety and going blank before you give a presentation or a performance. And when you teach a kid to do that, they just do it. They're not concerned about anything else than the result, which we could all learn from. This is really good. Okay, so now you have... I would imagine, let me put it that way, that you probably have areas where you consider yourself more of the expertise in tapping, mm-hmm. like more yep. of like your, so I've listened to your podcast, a lot of it is on, this is the beginning of the year, reaching goals, releasing mm-hmm. creative blocks. Is that right? What I am consistently trying to help my clients do is to one, figure out what is the next right action for them to take. And two, to get whatever is in the way of taking that next right action. There's four reasons why we don't take action. We don't know what we want. We don't know how to do it. It is painful to take action and it's painful to be successful. Now, with all four of those, there's a practical component and there is an emotional component. So practical component. Some people don't know how to write a goal. Some people don't know how to state a preference. So they're not doing something because practically they don't know how to do it. Emotionally, I could have had a goal in the past that I really invested in and it blew up in my face So in a subconscious emotional way, I am preventing myself from creating a goal because I don't want to deal with the heartache of failure again. And I deal with this so much, but on a different, I just have more specifics. So with the the artists who I coach to sell art, either, like you said, either they're lacking the practical information on Mm -hmm. how to sell the thing, but more times than not, I tell them exactly what to do and they're still not doing it because those emotions are getting in the way. Yeah, 100%. Which is why I invited you here. Like That's why we spend so much time on this podcast talking about managing your mind because it doesn't really help them just to give them that practical information if they can't act on it. Right. And what's really interesting, so in those four things that I gave, the third one, it's painful to take action. The fourth one, it's painful to be successful. Yeah, let's talk about that because that's something people don't talk about enough. They usually talk only about the fear of failure. Yeah. But what some guests are willing to come to agreement with with me and some of them aren't is that fear of success. So for example, so things that I have heard my clients say around that. If I work really hard to achieve success, I'm going to have to keep working really, really hard to maintain it. Where oftentimes we're building infrastructure that then is able to maintain. Or I'm going to have success in a weight loss capacity. I had a client say this to me. She said, I have heard how my friends talk about skinny people. And if I lose weight, they're going to say those horrible things about me. You know what? They will though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which may be true. It's true. I lost a lot of weight in college and lost a few friends along with it. That is a penalty of success yeah. that we don't want to deal with. Yeah. Or we see celebrities, whenever they have any sort of picadillo in their life, it gets blown up yeah. in the media. And it's like all of a sudden, like when I am doing my small little thing, I have a group of people who appreciate the work that I'm creating. But the instant it gets really, really big, there are more eyes prying, which means there's more judgment, which means there's going to be more struggle that comes along with that. Yeah, because you make yourself more vulnerable when you're seen. Yep. So there's this fear of success equals visibility. And lots of people who have had, it has nothing to do with their creative process and the work that they're doing now, but there were times in their past where they were visible and it was dangerous. And so therefore, we equate 
all visibility with danger. But oftentimes, like one of the reasons why the things that happened to us in our childhood are so traumatic is because we have so little agency. We are in a circumstance where the adults around us are dictating what we want. So even if we have preferences, we don't have agency and we don't have control. Therefore, we learn the ways that the world can harm us because of the things that we can't control and do anything about. We run into trouble when our seven-year-old self is running our business. Yeah, that emotional toddler is running the show. And our subconscious mind is really bad at understanding time. It thinks everything that is coming in the future is happening right now. That's why we get overwhelmed because we're trying to do everything at once. It thinks our experiences from when we were really, really young are happening right now. So our seven-year-old self shows up in our business. And so the work that we're doing when we do something like this is we're putting the past where it belongs. We're putting the future where it belongs. And we're taking the resources that we have now to deal with the choices that are in front of us, be it creating, managing our time, stating a goal, moving forward. That's great. Okay. So, Gene, if we were to pick a tapping mm-hmm. to help people get over the fear of selling their art, yeah, which one would that be? The thing that is most often when we're shipping anything that we create is that we equate the people's judgment of our creation because people have preferences. Like just because I don't like the art that you are creating doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's my preference. But because the things that we create are so personal, We equate someone stating a preference about our work as a value judgment on us as a person. Mm. And so, therefore, we don't want to put our creation out in the world because if someone rejects it, they're not saying, this isn't right for me. We feel as if they're saying, you are bad and you are unworthy. Mm. That is something that creators of all types, audio, visual, writers, product creators, bump into this all of the time. What we're going to do here, so if you search online for tapping points, you're going to find 8 million images that instantly pop up in any search engine. So after the fact, when you're listening, go search for stuff. That's fine. We'll also put this video. I don't normally publish videos mm-hmm. of all the podcasts, but for this one, we will we will make sure there's either a video clip of this on the show notes so people can go find that. We're going to use the most basic version of tapping just so it's easiest for everyone to use. And so we're going to use one, two, three, four, five, six, just eight points. It's really, really simple. So the first point is the point that is on the tippy top of the head. And so that's right on the crown. Like when you go into the doctor's office and they're measuring how tall you are where the little black thing hits you on the top of the head. Yeah. As we are tapping, we are going to tap as hard as if you were just tapping on someone's shoulders to get their attention. There are two points that I'm going to warn you to be gentle on. This is one of them because underneath that little tapping point is our brain and we don't want to be rattling our brain around. Do not think the strength of the tap is going to equal the quality of the work that we are doing. So just gently tap. So tippy top of the head. For most of the points that we use, I just use the fingertips of my index and middle fingers. We're doing it. The show notes are going to be shulmanart.com forward slash 73. Just in case someone's in a position right now that they want to stop that podcast and go find it. The second tapping point is the eyebrow tapping point. It is as far forward on your eyebrow towards the bridge of your nose without actually falling down on your nose. The side of the eye point is 
as you come forward, like as if you were following glasses, like here in the video, it's right on the edge of the eye socket. If your vision is blurring, you're tapping in the wrong spot. We are not poking <laughs> the eyeball. We're tapping on the edge of the eye. Ladies, it's the crow's feet. There you go. Under the eye is directly below the pupil on the cheek. This is the other point that has a tendency to be sensitive on some people because there's a sinus cavity directly underneath it. Just because I'm saying tap on a point, if it is painful, don't. Take full responsibility for your body. Be thoughtful. We can also just touch and rub in little circles. That works just as well. I find tapping an easier thing for me to do just because it requires a less refined movement. But if tapping is painful, don't. Side note, I can remember years ago when my father finally started tapping. Three days later, my mother called me and she says, your father's going to bruise himself. You need to talk to him. He's beating himself up too much. (laughs) So be gentle. Spot number five is under the nose. It is below the nose, above the lip. The chin spot is not the lip. It's not the pointy part of the chin. It's right in between. Oh, I was doing that all wrong then. So if this was 1994, it would be where my grunzy flavor saver would be. Just right there underneath the lower lip. Okay. The collarbone point, the easiest way to do the collarbone point is to take a flat hand and just tap on the collarbone. Because there's no penalty for tapping on something that is not a tapping point. So it's not as if we have to be super precise and only hit there. So with a flat hand, I'm hitting the point. So basically, the way I instruct people is you make a letter L with your thumb and index finger. You take the index finger and the thumb and you lay them on your two collarbones. So it's not choke, but down below. And then just with a flat hand tap. Gene, does it matter which hand you're using, whether if you're left-handed dominant or right-handed yeah. dominant? Yeah. So there's a lot of conversation in the tapping community about this. The thing that I have come to is, how is it working for you? There are lots of people who say, you should do it with both hands at the exact same time. And some people say, you should cross over your body. I have found that there is a marginal amount of difference by getting involved in all of that. I have clients that are super, super passionate about always using two hands. I use one hand. I typically use my dominant hand, except on a day where I have a dozen clients because I tap along with them and I'll switch back and forth just because I'm tapping all day. So do what works for you. Typically, people use one hand. Typically, they use their dominant hand, but that's not a requirement. Last tapping spot is under the arm. It is right on the midsection of your side, right at bra strap height. Sometimes this is called the tender spot. Because as you poke around in there, you will notice it's just a little bit tender. So it almost feels like a little bruise if you poke around in there on some people. Okay. I'm a little fat over there, so I don't feel a thing. There you go. So those are the eight points. And what I'll do as we're doing this demonstration, once you're familiar with the tapping points, if you listen to my tap-alongs, I don't tell people where to tap. But since for most people, this is going to be the first time that they're doing it, I'll say the tapping point, then I'll say a phrase, and then I'll have you repeat it back. For those of you listening along with us, I'm going to say the phrase, you're going to say the phrase back, then we'll move on to the next tapping point, phrase, phrase, next tapping point. Make sense? Sounds good. Tippy top of the head. I would really like to share my creation. I would really like to share my creation. Eyebrow. I've worked really hard on it. I've worked really hard on it. Side of the eye. It really means a lot to me. It really means a lot to me. Under the eye. And I want others to experience it as well. And I want others to experience it as well. Under the nose. But I also recognize the fact. But I also recognize the fact. Chin. Not everybody is going to appreciate it. Not everyone is going to appreciate it collarbone because what is beautiful to one person might not be to another person because what is beautiful to one person may not be beautiful to another person 
under the arm. And there is a part of me that's afraid to share. And there's a part of me that's afraid to share. Tippy top of the head, because this is so personal. Because this is so personal. Eyebrow. And on a subconscious level. And on a subconscious level. Side of the eye. It feels as if. It feels as if. Under the eye. When they reject my work. When they reject my work. Under the nose. They are rejecting me. They are rejecting me. Chin. Because it means a lot to me. Because it means a lot to me. Collarbone. Because I've put a lot of myself into my creation. Because I put a lot of myself into my creation. Under the arm. I recognize the fact. I recognize the fact. Tippy top of the head. When someone doesn't like what I've created. When someone doesn't want what I created. Eyebrow. They're not making a judgment on me. They're not making a judgment on me. Side of the eye. They're making a statement of their preference. They're making a statement of their preference. Under the eye. When I am creating something. When I'm creating something. Under the nose. It's about finding the right fit. It's about finding the right fit. Chin with the right audience. With the right audience. Collarbone. And not everyone is the right audience for me. And not everyone is the right audience for me. Under the arm. The part of me that is afraid of sharing. The part of me that is afraid of sharing. Tippy top of the head. It's just trying to keep me safe. It's just trying to keep me safe. Eyebrow, it doesn't want me to be rejected. It doesn't want me to be rejected. Side of the eye, because 7,000 years ago. Because 7,000 years ago. Under the eye, if I was rejected by the tribe. If I was rejected by the tribe. Under the nose, I would literally die. I would literally die. Chin, so this fear of being rejected. So this fear of being rejected. Collarbone is just trying to keep me safe. It's just trying to keep me safe. Under the arm, and it's over-functioning. And it's over-functioning. Tippy-top of the head, because they are not rejecting me. Because they are not rejecting me. Eyebrow, they're simply making a statement of their preference. They're simply making a statement of their preference. Side of the eye, and so it is okay. And so it is okay. Under the eye, and it is safe. And it is safe. Under the nose, for someone not to like my work. For someone not to like my work. Nice deep breath. So what do you notice? I love this. Mm-hmm. I am so like excited to share this with all my listeners. Yeah, it's good stuff. It really, really is good stuff. Okay, so guys, if you liked this, make sure you subscribe to Jean's podcast, Tapping Q&A. You can even be a supporter of that, right? Mm-hmm, like you have a absolutely. patron thing. Be a supporter, then you get extra things, don't you? Like a- Absolutely, yeah. One of the things that, that my supporters get is I actually create a custom tap along just for them where they send in a request of an issue that is theirs, and I just sit down and record a seven-minute audio and just fire it back. It's just theirs. Okay, 100% I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Don't Don't be surprised if some of those like vague household members suddenly have very specific requests with their their delicate constitutions. In fact, we may even become a client of yours. So, and then if somebody wants to work with you, you do that through Zoom, just like this, or you do, it has to be in Brooklyn. Most of the client work I do is in some sort of video capacity, either Zoom or Skype. I have some clients where I work just over the phone, just because they are not as technologically savvy and being able to manage that. And once you are familiar with the tapping points, you don't actually have to see the other person. It is Studies have shown it is more successful when you can see a client when working with them, Mm. but 
just having them over the phone is still significantly more successful than a number of other modalities. So I'm completely comfortable working with someone just over the phone. Even my local clients do that because it's just easier for them to just jump on Zoom versus jumping on the subway and trying to get to me here in Brooklyn. Yeah. And meanwhile, from where I live to Brooklyn, it's all New York, but it's like going to another country. I mean, this is like a two-hour commute to get from Westchester County to Brooklyn. I would consider the Upper West Side a long-distance relationship. Exactly. Right. Okay. So if they want information on working with you, that's at tappingqna.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. They can send me a note. So the link to all those things, the podcast, Gene's website, and the video that we talked about are all going to be in the show notes on my blog, Art dot com forward slash 73. Okay, Gene, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? Absolutely. Every single time you experience resistance to taking an action you want, it is a part of your system that is trying to keep you safe, that is simply over-functioning. It either misunderstands what is going on, or it is overreacting to what is happening. So like we talked about earlier, where you work with your clients and just because they know what to do doesn't mean they're doing it. If you know exactly what to do and you're moving it from day to day to day on your to-do list, it's not a failing. It is an over-functioning part of yourself that's trying to keep you safe. And tapping or any other tool, I am open to whatever works for you. The goal is to get that resistance to be well-informed and proportionate because when that happens, we always take the most effective, important action first because there is nothing in the way. I love that. Or as I would say with my people, inspired action. Absolutely. I am always a person. I'm not concerned about inspired outcome. I'm all about inspired action because when we take inspired action, we typically create something that is greater than the inspired outcome that we thought we were shooting for. Right. Those byproducts. Mm -hmm. You are singing my tune, which is why I like you. All right, Gene, thank you so much for being with me here today. I really appreciate that. And thank you all my listeners for being with me here today. If you love this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. You know, that's the best way to make sure you don't miss a single one. I have some amazing guests coming your way. There's a reason why the Inspiration Place podcast is one of the top 100 podcasts for artists in the art category. And we're almost on the top of the visual arts category. So proud of it. And I'm really grateful for everyone who's been listening. So that's it for now. I will see you the same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. 